Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. Got a really exciting episode for you guys today. We're going to get into our discussion of The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan with our friends Jake and Steven over at Pentology. Yeah, we are actually talking to you from the future. So I can tell you that this was an awesome conversation. Super we had a awesome. really great time talking to Stephen and Jake. And they, they helped us so much because <laughs> uh, you may know by now if this uh, that this is my first time reading Wheel of Time. Uh, but we had two folks who have a lot more experience on than that so it, yeah. it was a blast and they're just great to have it was so much fun too. those guys are such pros you know we instead of going like plot point by plot point we were able to just have a conversation and and they were so knowledgeable and also like just professional pod fantasy podcast hosts we just it was just so much fun always a pleasure having them on um, I guess the only other thing we would say is spoiler warning for Eye of the World by Wheel of Time. So if you haven't read that, you know, Dylan, you want to drop your famous line here? Yeah, then you might want to turn this down in your headphones Love it, right about now. But, you know, if you want to embark on an epic journey with <laughs> us and embark on it for the first time with me, then now is a great opportunity to pick up the Eye of the World because I, I had a great time reading this first installment of this epic series. I had a great time rereading it as well. So, you know, without any further delay, enjoy our conversation of Eye of the World with Fantology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Fantasy. With me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. Ah, that's right. Dylan says the plural friends because we have two very <laughs> special guests with us today. We have Steven and Jake from Fantology. Guys, welcome. Pumped to be here. Thanks so much for having us on. Uh, it's always a good time. I think we've done a couple of collabs and uh, looking forward to getting into uh, the Burning God preview for our future collaboration. <laughs> yeah, he's a pro. Wonderful tease there, Steven. Still working yeah. with you. This guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> but we got another pro in the house and Jake. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, excited for this episode of The Wheel of Time. I'm a big fan of The Wheel of Time. So always down to talk with friends talking fantasy and always down to talk about The Wheel of Time. Just a big fan of, I feel like you were saying at the beginning, <laughs> before we started recording eight or nine times through the book, that's more than, a, that's more than a fan. That's a the first book, the first book, yeah. fanatic, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just say when, if you go on theory land or I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, I'm definitely not, I'm not ready for that kind of excitement of, of the books. I don't have that kind of knowledge in it. Sounds like you've snooped there though. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm no dusty wheel i guess i should say <laughs> <laughs> that's good no we're super thrilled to have you guys you know um when we 
thought about doing the Wheel of Time when that became a thing that we agreed to do a little while back, we almost immediately reached out to you guys because it's one of the things where it's like, we have this history, all of us, about Wheel of Time. And Stephen, I think the, a, a large reason why we're here is thanks to you to kind of encourage, give Dylan the encouragement that he needed <laughs> to pick the series up. And yeah, we just knew we had to have you on. We were so glad we could work it out. <laughs> I provided enough shame in our uh, Lord of the Rings <laughs> recording, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, just enough shame, which is, you know, always the motivator. And then Charles brought it back up in Friends Pitching Fantasy, reminded me of that shame. And now look at us. We're, we've read the eye of the world. So you made it happen and I'm, yes. I'm pumped to get into it. So this is, uh, I've read the book seven or eight less times than Jake has, uh, but I have read it now, which puts me ahead of where I was the last time we were sitting around recording together. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. Hey, yes. you got, you got the most recent reread or most recent read. So I did finish earlier today. So that's... <laughs> Ooh, very yes. fresh, hot, hot very off fresh. the press. Yes, yeah. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll appreciate Dylan's first time perspective. He's the only one of us that hasn't read it before, so his perspective will be super interesting. This is my second time. The first time I read it was many years ago. Um, I was just doing the audiobooks from Eye of the World just straight through. It took me about six or seven months to do it, but that was about four or five years ago, so a little rusty, but I just excited to get back into it. I've always been a fan. So this is my second time around. Um, so uh, I guess, Stephen, where does that leave you? How many times you've read it? Seven times? Uh, times? No, not, not quite seven. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say three. I think three is, uh, I read it once uh, in high school and then I reread when memory of light was coming out. And then when I was getting really excited for the TV show, I, I reread the first book. And then it got delayed and everything. I was like, oh, I'll, I guess I'll pick it back up again when we get closer to release date. But uh, hopefully hopefully that uh, show comes out. We're, we're hoping for a 2021 release. We were also hoping for a Super Bowl commercial, maybe from uh, Amazon <laughs> Prime, but that didn't pan out. So who knows? They didn't splurge. No, I, we're, we're hoping that it will be timely and that we'll have read enough that we can participate in the discussion when it does air. So we're excitedly waiting for the news about the show but the fact that nothing really has been shown has me a bit nervous but you never know they could just be sitting on it waiting to to drop something you know they're you know they're interacting with people enough on twitter their official account and everything it makes us all kind of believe that it's 2021 but probably later 2021 mm -hmm. so still months away well, we've got 14 books to read, so it might take us a year or so to get yeah, through them yeah, all. Yeah, you, which... you got plenty of content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I want to be in the place to be able to say like, oh, yeah, you know, I read the books first. Yes, yeah. it was. I finished the day of the premiere, but uh, uh -huh. the, and then I can talk about how much better the books were, uh, you know, like that was those... <laughs> that was me with Game of Thrones. I didn't I I heard of Game of Thrones via. Um, some wheel of time fans but mm. i had no idea it was a show and i was just i just like oh i'll start reading these and then as i was reading them my boss was like hey have you seen that show <laughs> i was like oh i didn't know it was a show i was like totally oblivious to hbo wow. at that time but it was like when it's season one rights. was out i mean i was reading the first book when season one was coming out but mm. due to due to being oblivious more than anything else <laughs> 
Yeah, was this before the internet was invented or what's going on here? <laughs> well, actually, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like I was living at home. I did, he was too busy cable, reading so. I Have the World, Stephen. He was on his <laughs> yeah, like that was sixth it. read through, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah that so, was it. Speaking of before the invention of the internet, I would guess the Eye of the World probably was published around the same year the internet was invented. Is that It probably? was in 90. 90. Published in 1990. So, I mean, I don't know when the internet was invented, but it's it's about as old as I am, I know. So, um so is the Eye of the World a little bit older than than me, um older than Charles too. And uh yeah, I think it's it, that was an interesting thing reading it was trying to look back with that perspective, I would say. Like uh, mm. I Obviously, I haven't read it before. It's uh, so I've read a lot of the more modern stuff. I'm uh, and I'm wondering, uh, you guys, looking back on it now, you've read it more recently too. Like, what sticks out for you guys as this? Like, what's more uh, dated about it? What is more like? be i guess ahead of its time about it uh, yeah steven and jake i'm curious um big, for me, big question big question <laughs> i kind of see it as like the the lord of the rings of modern fantasy in the sense that like i don't know it's like it has so much um influence in modern fantasy but it's also old enough that it's it's different you know what i mean I don't know. I, yeah. I think I think it was ahead of its time, ahead of its time in a lot of ways. There's um, the ways it kind of subverts the fantasy genre, whereas most of what I had read fantasy wise was either like Narnia or Lord of the Rings or things that felt very similar to those. Whereas um, there's like parts of the Eye of the World where things happened that were completely opposite of what I was expecting from the typical hero's journey. So I think it was ahead of its time in that way. Yeah, I think a good sign of being ahead of its time for anything is probably how much influence it has on things down the road. And the Eye of the World and the Wheel of Time have had a huge influence. It'd be really fun to like sit down and really like map out like a uh, almost like a genealogy of fantasy books, starting from uh, you know starting it's from like ancient legends <laughs> to Tolkien to. Yeah. Are you doing this already? <laughs> no, but Dylan and I have been talking about it for the past yeah. couple of weeks now. Actually, reading yeah. Eye of the World kind of got us thinking about it. We were like, wow, 1990. And then we were like, you know, Tigana came out around that year. And like Game of Thrones is in the early 90s as well. Mm-hmm. So it's 96, I think. Oh, oh, okay. So the mid 90s. Yeah. So it's interesting to see like who influenced who, when, who was doing yeah. different things yeah. at the same time. You know, Tigana, Eye of the World are like very different. But um, is yeah, Tigana? It, is yeah. that Guy Gavril K? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. It's an interesting one. It's uh, we won't get too deep into it because it's Eye of the World episode. I'm sure people. <laughs> but I will say Tigana, interesting one to put around the same time as Eye of the World because it's very different. Does not follow. Oh, I, I mean, Eye of the World. You can see, or I can see, follows a lot of pretty similar beats in some ways to the Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. I don't know what <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to offend folks, but uh, <laughs> you know, there's, 
there's all sorts of things going on, like being corrupted by something and potentially going mad is a big thing. And it kind of like ends with that as the character kind of being like, oh no, I need to like uh, step away from all my friends because that's happening to me. It's like, oh, who else did that? Like, uh, well, I won't say because, you know, don't want to spoil Lord <laughs> of the Rings, but it's like, it, I feel like Tigana takes a little bit like total different approach to fancy storytelling. Yeah, so I I think like you you were saying, Jake, I see it as this like from just reading this first book, uh like Lord of the Rings of modern fantasy. Yeah. So the in the vein of now we read you know, you, oh let's say the emperor's soul for example um (laughs) or all these other sanderson novels that we see out there you can tell there's so much influence from robert jordan and probably more direct influence i mean obviously sanderson finished up the series and all these kind of things was inspired by but you can just see a lot more jordan i think in sanderson's writing than really a uh you can see Tolkien and Sanderson's writing. It's like the filter through which some of these modern folks are. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 That's a really good way to put it. If we bring it back to the genealogy, it would be the the branch. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It definitely feels like either world is like a jumping off point for a lot of modern fantasy because it does follow a lot of the same beats of the fellowship of the ring. And I believe that that's done very intentionally by Robert Jordan. And then it does just kind of springboard into this massive thing that a lot of modern authors get influenced from in some ways. I mean, I'm reading it now and it's like, wow, there's a lot that I can see even like in Game of Thrones that I can see being inspired from some things Mm -hmm. that are happening in this book. And then like, I can see like, oh, these are the things that Abercrombie like is totally like having fun subverting and skewering, you know? So it's like, I can see how much influence Mm -hmm. it's had because like, this is traditional fantasy and this is how I'm kind of carving my own, but still being within that Tolkien formula. And then now modern authors are like finding their own voice in that and pushing it further. So that's how I've always seen it. And Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Jordan say that this beginning, at least the beginning of the Eye of the World, was supposed to be his love letter to Tolkien yeah. and to the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I, I, like you said, um, it was it's very intentional, and it is meant to be kind of like this love letter. It might, honestly, for me, I think it is up until kind of maybe once they like meet back up in Camelin, or maybe after Shadar Logoth is when it starts to kind of become its more of its own there's like different periods in the wheel of time where it's it really like in different books where it's like oh this is really shifting and becoming its own identity more and more as it goes on but i think in the eye of the world the the crew getting split up after shadar logoth and then perrin kind of finding his own path um and uh i don't know i think i feel like that's like a big uh branch off point i would agree with that I see the stage being set for all sorts of things that will eventually happen in this series that will, I think, spread its wings and go in very different directions from anything Tolkien tried to do. I think Perrin is a character that I see. It's like 
there's not like a parallel necessarily. I mean, maybe because he has an axe, you could start trying to say <laughs> he's like, Gim- but it's not, he's not the game, Gim- yeah. you know, like yeah. It, yeah. there's parallels certainly for particular characters, but I can see that Jordan is saying the stage for this epic journey that, you know, you, you have 14 books here. So uh, if you just retreaded Tolkien, you'd run out of track pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say like Lord of the Rings doesn't have a whole lot of side quests to it. Right. Like there's kind of the main plot line. Everyone's kind of doing that stuff. Maybe there's a few things we do, but it all kind of ties back together. Wheel of Time has a lot of side quests. There's a lot of, you know, different storylines with different characters. And obviously Mm -hmm. we're not going to talk about them in this episode, but uh, it's very much like this huge to kind of keep the genealogy tree thing going. It's this huge branching sprawling tree compared to lord of the rings which is a little more straightforward i remember and and this is more apparent in the later books but i I think even in the eye of the world uh when i was reading it i remember thinking lord of the rings has such an expansive backstory and lore to it but the plot itself is it's much more of that straight line you know we got to get from point a to point b to complete the quest and complete the the plot whereas it feels like to me, Wheel of Time is more of let's drop this pebble in the pond and just see how the ripples go. Mm. Whereas there is an overarching like point to everything, but um, all the different ripples get explored a lot more. And and again, I guess that's probably outside of the scope of Eye of the World. But in the Eye of the World, you do get a lot of like hints at it and the beginnings mm. of it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even just the the jump from the prologue to the start of the book like yeah and seeing the ramifications for and like realizing how that connects at the end and everything so the the prologue struck me a lot as a first time reader and i think the prologue was the thing that mm-hmm. i felt most felt like how like i could see brandon sanderson starting a novel in that manner because it just <laughs> does all these he has things, right <laughs> right yeah like all these questions are immediately raised for a reader they i feel like rj is uh do people call him that we saw that on uh twitter of time yeah. rj hey yeah. yeah i can do that rj <laughs> says uh, rj does all these things that it's like gives you just enough to kind of understand the base of what's happening in it. Right. You're like, okay, so this person is going, uh, he's losing his mind and, uh, he is having communication with some sort of dark force that has kind of defeated him. And then there's all this other stuff around that, that's being thrown at you in addition to that. But with kind of just this base understanding of kind of the interaction and the scope being big, then it raises all these additional questions on top of that, that you're like, oh, wow, this will give us a lot to get into and explore for the next uh, 14 books from there. And I was like, I was pumped. Like I was actually, and you you know, I've been called hasty on the podcast uh, before. Um, And I think. And on other podcasts as well, Dylan. (laughs) Yes. On the Phantology podcast, I've been uh, called hasty as well. Um, and I, I have all sorts of thoughts about a particular character that showed up in this book as well. That we'll get into, I'm sure. Uh, and I'll say like, that was something that immediately set apart from Tolkien for me was this prologue that was based in character and 
intrigue and all this stuff where Tolkien was a little bit more like in legends and us like more of the wheel of time turns type thing. But the wheel of time turns bit happens after the prologue, at least in my. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, he was like, I have this idea for a cool story. And Robert Jordan came up with all this like backstory and lore and this timeline. And then he was, so he gives you like a a hint of that at the beginning. And then he's like, well, let's just start from Lord of the Rings. Like he gives you like, here's a hint at what this is really going to be. Now let me start it in a place that's more familiar, I guess. Right. And that's the incentive for me is the stuff that happens. The prologue is the incentive to go through all the. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how it was for um, like readers at the time, whether they were like, what is this? Okay. Now I feel more comfortable (laughs) with Lord of the Rings again, like ease them into it. Whereas Mm -hmm. now we're like, wait, give me more of that, that more modern feel. So, so Dylan, as I, it's hard for me to separate because I'm, you know, I've read the series all the way through and it's been years, Mm -hmm. but uh, you just finished the first book. How much of that prologue, like, are you able to put any pieces together yet? Uh, I think a little bit now, because that was the first thing I did after I finished the book was be like, okay, I'm, uh, I'll be going on to the second one soon. But before (laughs) that, I'm going back to the prologue because I know that there's a lot going on there that's more important than whatever will be the next thing I read in the second book. So I I feel like what I can put together is there's so there's this guy uh, Luz Theron Telmon, right? And he was kind of I don't know if he was the last dragon or he was just a dragon and uh, what Rand seems to be kind of on the path to potentially become. Uh, he obviously could wield this power that has uh, I, I I know it's Saedine and Saedar. Am I getting yeah. that? Yeah, 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 you're doing great. Okay, doing which job. one is the male power? Saedine um, is for men. Okay, so Saedar that one woman. has been corrupted in some way because the dark one has gotten into it a, a bit. Like, uh, there's a great like analogy that they said, like a drop of like something uh, in the water, oil on the river, oil, yeah. Yeah. Or Thank you. Like that. This, yeah. See, this is why <laughs> this is this is why we have all you on. So then the that has corrupted things and. I don't know how the dark one got into it and all that kind of stuff, but that is, I assume the reason why folks start losing their mind when they use it, when the, um, uh, the women who are using it are not losing their minds. So he's basically like, he failed. Like obviously I mentioned him later in the book and he was like some big hero, but ultimately I guess he failed. And my big theory for this whole thing is like the the parents been playing out a lot, right? That's what they talk about. Uh, the wheel of time is turning, and it's just doing the same <laughs> crap over and over again. But like the dark one is kind of like basically winning, not winning, but like certainly the light side isn't winning here. Like the dark one is staving them off at the very least. So I think that my big picture theory of the wheel of time is like Rand. The, like this is why we're telling the story now is like Rand is going to succeed in all of the ways that uh, Luz Theron Telemann failed. That's my, that's what Wheel of Time is about, according to Dylan mm. one book in. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You heard it here. We can check back in like a year from now when we're 14. <laughs> I want that on recording. I want that on recording so I can say, I was like, yeah, ask him about the prologue, but I think that's relevant to the prologue, right? I mean, uh, Luz <laughs> yeah, Theron yeah, is yeah. what it's about. So he obviously killed his, uh, 
killed his family and all those kind of things too, and mm-hmm. then formed that big mountain. But the first time I was reading, I was like, I barely understand what's happening, <laughs> but enough yeah. enough to ask the questions that make you want to read further. Who do you think the other guy is that uh, is, is messing with him? The other guy, I found this, at first I thought the other guy was the dark one, but then on my second attempt, I realized that there was like some line that basically implied that they work for the dark one. Uh, so some sort of like second in mm. command was, I could be told, I'm, I know you don't want to, you're giving me all these like stony face, mm. like, no, we're not going to spoil anything for you, Dylan, but we're also not going to tell you uh-huh, that you're uh-huh. not making a fool of yourself. So uh, I appreciate it. That's the right way to approach this. Um, my uh, my roommate is reading The Way of Kings right now for the first time. So I'm pretty practiced with this face yes. right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We're only doing audio, but for the listeners, uh, Jake and Steven are both nailing the stony face. We're not going to spoil it for you first wheel of timer. <laughs> the, yeah, the prologue struck me as well. Um, that's some interesting predictions there. And as someone who read the whole series and then is reading the prologue for the second time ever, right? It, it was really interesting to revisit. I was kind of surprised by how right away, how kind of dark it was. Like the descriptions of a lot of these corpses and things like that were darker in tone than I remembered Wheel of Time ever being certainly darker than like Lord of the Rings ever was in terms of like description. And I I was just like, for me, like the prologue is just nailed in terms of tone. It sounds like it could have been written last year you know it's just that yeah. fresh especially when you compare it to immediately it's like and now we're at the two rivers with <laughs> yes. the humble man shepherd here <laughs> uh, watching over his flock with his father and it's, he's just like seven feet tall and super handsome and <laughs> you're like okay that's well that's uh that's not what i was just reading but i also you know i was listening to the audiobooks and i just love michael kramer going like aliena Aliena, you know, <laughs> delivers an amazing performance. I could listen to that yeah. all day. <laughs> Speaking of, now that now that you've read it, have you watched Winter Dragon? Our no, our, oh, our only adept. It, it was. Oh. Uh, it's a oh, terrible. I heard of this. It's on YouTube, probably. But it I, is whoever on had, YouTube. <laughs> whoever had the rights to adapt the Wheel of Time, they're about to lose the rights, oh. so they had to produce something. But it's basically just the the prologue. So I heard like that, that forty is. minute prologue. Um, also, shout out to Dusty Wheel again. They did a like their own cut of it that makes mm. it a little better. But <laughs> not a lot. It's right. still way it's, bad. There's got, no way anyone could improve too. Who, too much. Who's who's? Um, I mean, it's I don't, got I don't, Billy Zane. Yeah, Billy, Billy Zane. Zane. Billy Zane's in, and he does honestly. He does a a great job with what was given him. <laughs> but but <laughs> yeah you like gotta watch that was given him. <laughs> not a lot if you, if you want to no. hear more Ileana calls you should uh, watch that <laughs> I'm, there's I'm a long saga a very long saga to the tv rights of wheel of time mm. which we yeah. probably don't want to go into now <laughs> yeah i'm i'm jealous of you guys with your first impressions of the prologue because i don't know how i like my mind got this way but i as a kid reading, I was like, oh, prologues and epilogues, you don't have to read those. And I was like, I just want to jump in the story. So like the first like five or six books I read, I did not read the prologues or the epilogues. I was just like, no, that's just filler. I don't need that. (laughs) And then 
going back, I'm like, how dumb am I for doing this? This, this is not only is it great, it's plot important to so many things. Yeah, <laughs> so, I say you messed up on this one. It's the yeah, best part of the whole book probably. But it's yeah. like chapter one is way more fillery than yeah, the yeah. prologue in this one. I don't know who is to blame for that lapse in my education, but <laughs> but uh, another great thing, and this is like uh, one of the key features of the Wheel of Time to me is, um, I mean, Charles, you mentioned uh, rereading the prologue after reading the series. There's so much there that's foreshadowed or hinted at that a lot of it you don't even realize until you are doing your reread. So for me, rereading is always such a such a pleasure. Like I, I re-listened to them probably a year ago and I still picked up on things like, oh, this is like, this is foreshadowing this right now where to me, first time, or however many times reading, I'm like, oh, this is just a plot point, not realizing it's been foreshadowed like so long ago. Yeah, I can see that showing up already. I was talking uh, a little bit uh, off air with you guys before where I was like, there are these moments like when Tam is in a fever dream and you can just tell as a, even as a first time reader, like, okay, the things that he's spouting right now are likely very important for Mm -hmm. the plot and of course rand uh is having a harder time realizing that than i think most readers would it's like tim's like i'm not your father at all and rand's like so he's my father uh i don't don't think so though so uh yeah but uh, there are these moments where i think what's interesting is rj throws lot of stuff with names and all sorts of like clearly like future plot points that i imagine won't come to fruition for books and books and books oh yes um like doing it all the time and i kind of know it's happening but i don't know what to do with the information that i know it's happening except highlight it and say maybe i'll go back later and i'll but it's interesting because it for me it contrasts with the way he does his characters i i I feel like, or not as characters per se, like how he trusts his readers when it comes to characters. It's like he trusts his readers a lot to pick up on all these plot things that he's just throwing at you. But then he'll have these moments where it's like he has these very good characters, I think, that are do like these interesting things that are shown, not told. And then he tells you too is something that I kind of noticed some here. It's like, like Nynaeve shows up I hope I'm not butchering these names, so Nynaeve. please let me know. Nynaeve <laughs> yeah. shows up, and uh, Egwen, Egwene, Egwene. Yeah. Okay, I'll get. I listen to the audiobook, so I'm going by Nynaeve. what Nynaeve. That was a hard one. Yeah, <laughs> that's my tough. first read. My first time through, I did not listen, and I thought her name yeah. was Egwene. That's what <laughs> and I then did. I, fi- I finally listened, and I and now we we know it's Egwene. Okay, Egwene. So it's like <laughs> Nynaeve shows up and then Egwene, who'd gotten rid of the braid, is now like uh, wearing like a bow <laughs> or something. And it's kind of this compromise in between like Rebel. that Moraine doesn't wear any braid or a- anything like that. And yeah. Nynaeve is like old school, wears the braid. And we get these moments where it's like, oh, she's doing that. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. That's like great character development and stuff. And then it's like Rand has these like amazing perceptions all of a sudden where it's like 
like probably couldn't decide whether to ple- please Moraine or Nynaeve, he thought. And it's like, <laughs> all right, like <laughs> you could. I, so, you know, big Abercrombie fan over here. I think like Abercrombie would do the showing and then would just be like, okay, like there you go. And wouldn't have that extra bit of telling. So it's interesting. Right. I think RJ almost needs to get out of his way a little bit sometimes <laughs> when it comes to like, no, you already did it. You did it. You don't have to tell us again. Yeah. There's a reason why, you know, there's 15 books and they're all really, really long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you guys hit on like a few themes. Uh, they're like prophecy, the number of characters and just like the general feel of the books. And a huge one in the Wheel of Time is miscommunication between characters. Oh, my God. So Mis- uh, not yeah. even just between characters, between like nations, just like <laughs> how, like the telephone game is a huge like plays a huge yeah. part in the series. Yeah, when I listened to the audiobook the first time, whatever version I had of Eye of the World ended with an interview with RJ and some interviewer of some kind. And what RJ was saying, he's like, well, I wanted to write this book because I wanted to write a story about how information is affected by both time and distance. It's like, mm-hmm. how far away from the source of the news are you? And how does that affect like a game of telephone and then over how much time as well. So that's why everyone in the two rivers thinks like I said, I are like pure evil and they're all bad. Mm. And, and then in real life, they're like, you know, there's, it's more complicated than that. And so many yeah. different elements like you guys are touching on. That's such a huge part of these books. And that's what makes this so interesting. Then you have like the meta of it. It's a 14 book long, you know, series and just how information changes as you're going through it you know i think that's one of the more brilliant things about um wheel of time mm-hmm. i the world kind of kicks it off really well and even that theme is sometimes uh, a little more buried like you were saying right. charles like the 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 i said i are, are perceived differently by different folks and then sometimes it's really on the head where i don't remember if, if at the end of this book they do something like this but a lot of times when they talk about prophecy they're like Oh, and some folks thought it meant this, and then as the winds go, other people thought this, and et cetera. And it's like really obvious that we're talking about the way that uh, information is perceived. So, yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. a pretty astute uh, pickup right there, Dylan. Speaking of uh, Aes Sedai, what were your thoughts on Moraine as a character? Were you yeah. like, in terms of how did you like her just as a character in a book in general? And then also, did you? feel like she was trustworthy or are you still not sure what's up i thought moraine was my second favorite character um and the the first was Egwene. Egwene. i can't say Egwene. once i get in my head wrong it's like <laughs> Egwene. yeah first was Egwene, and second was moraine uh and i think moraine is I I don't buy any of the things people are saying that like she's not good. I think that I buy when she says like I oppose the dark one and like I basically I'm going to do whatever it takes to oppose the dark one. I'm like I think you're doing that. And yeah, maybe in, at some point in a 14 book series that will mean she might do something not nice <laughs> like right like maybe that can get a little machiavellian at times mm-hmm. and maybe she has a little temper but sometimes but i don't know i think that i thought she was awesome like i think yeah. she's a really cool character yeah. i think she's complex i think that i i like that she actually does stuff with her magic like the one complaint i have about gandalf is that <laughs> he's like 
uh, yeah, we know he's super powerful and all these kind of things, but just in the main Lord of the Rings, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but I, I don't think it is to say something he doesn't do, which is like ever actually show us like cool, like fire powers are growing. Like she like, like Moraine like grows really big at one point. And she like caused sort of or- earthquakes and stuff. I was like, she's no, fireballs like, out of her hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, she's out there like doing the stuff. And I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. Like you've got your wizard equivalent out on this trip and first off like props to rj for having a woman in the gandalf what i see as the gandalf role anyway and Mm -hmm. that so that's awesome and super progressive i think for 1990 and then on top of that to have this nuanced complex character that people keep telling you is kind of like bad and people don't trust them and uh, yeah to have them doing stuff like she's, she's not afraid to do the things and that's awesome i think yeah i I think you touched on something good there dylan i I feel the same way moraine's one of my favorite characters too and when we were talking about the series dylan before we started reading it and you know we were interacting with people on twitter there's always this conversation about like how dated it is and also how progressive it is and i feel like um moraine is in the camp of like look this was 1990 fantasy wasn't exactly getting the best rap for representation like lord of the rings had like one or two female characters and they were very understated so to put moraine kind of in the in the front and give her like these awesome powers make her the leadership role i think she's just like a really really interesting character that would feel super fresh 30 years later you know i I think she's super awesome yeah the fact that she's not afraid to throw fireballs is also very appealing (laughs) Yeah, I like, um, I like, like, she has obviously the most power um, magically, you know, because she, like you said, she's the Gandalf equivalent, but also she has the most power when it comes to just knowledge and understanding and in terms of kind of keeping others in the dark. Like, she holds so much power throughout the whole book. And I wonder, to this day, I don't know if he intentionally thought, I want to write this with a female in this in this role to kind of subvert the genre or be more progressive or if he was just world building came up mm. with the idea of Sidine being tainted yeah. and it just naturally progressed into it i'm not mm. sure either way it i mm. feel i totally agree it's refreshing and and i feel like it's not i don't know it's like it's just such a well done for for me as a male reading it. I don't know how other um, women usually interpret it, but it just doesn't seem like her gender is really holding her back or highlighting her. Like she just is who she is and happens mm. to be female and mm. totally fills the role perfectly. Yeah, I don't know if it's which one of those things it is either. Jake, I I, I agree. I think it's it's excellently done. Uh, we do know that Jordan is much more of like your gardener type writer discovery writer if you will where uh, i think uh, in sanderson's lectures he describes him as more of like a points on the map guy where he's in developing the series is like i know i need my guys to do this and this and this and so my characters need to be in these places but uh let's just kind of explore and see how they get there and then along the way they grow so uh, it's a very different take than your sanderson where it's like all plotted out to the upteenth detail before right. He even starts writing anything and uh, it's just a stylistic choice and, and it, it works best for each of them. So uh, yeah, it's, it's very much like fantasy has maybe changed a bit to where it seems like Sanderson and the hard magic and all of that is, is kind of uh, pushing some of the new writers maybe away from 
this uh, more creative discovery type writing, but I think both are great, great ways to interact with the genre. Also speaking of, I feel like we highlighted the differences between how magic is portrayed in Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time. And from my reading, I feel like this is one of the first hard magic systems that like in the timeline of fantasy, I could be wrong here, but in my experience, Lord of the Rings and like all the ones that kind of like that before I read Will of Time were more the wizard can do this because, you know, they they can just do this and it's never he's the wizard. Yeah, he's the wizard. And you yeah. don't know like what you don't know, like what the limits really are. Whereas with um, the Will of Time, I mean, it's kind of hard in the eye of the world because it's all being introduced, but it's very much more rule based as opposed to. And then they're doing this now. Right. And I think the idea of having like the male version and the female version is just super, super interesting. And like you said, the fact that one is tainted, right? So now there's this added level to the world building, not just of how the magic works, but now it's like, okay, if a man is channeling, he's a risk to everyone. So they just become like enemies. So there's this almost kind of like this this conflict that is that comes up as the result and it it's just like um as far as just through eye of the world if you can imagine like the potential of that and like how much that theme can be explored in future you know in future novels mm-hmm. to me like the idea of i said i and Saidar and Saidine, like like you said it's the parts from lord of the rings and that jordan has put so much thought into his world building and i think world building is like the main like take away from wheel of time it's like there's so much that goes into it and the magic system is an exception (laughs) yeah and i like how it affects the whole like cultures in general like you have the women's circle in this backwoods village like Mm -hmm. women have a lot more power because Mm -hmm. it's kind of like subconsciously men are a little less trusted because of the whole tainting of that power there's like i don't know i just think that like the way that he thought about that and like the repercussions throughout society is pretty interesting. Super interesting. Yeah. It just permeates across mm-hmm. the map there. Yeah. And it's very cool. I mean, as you get more into the series, you'll see a lot of these other cultures that you've seen on the map. They're all very distinct and have their own kind of takes on some different things. And they, they all seem very real. Like honestly, yeah. after reading the series a, a time or two, you feel like you could just, take a vacation off to anywhere on the, uh, in Randland. There's no name for the actual, uh, world, by the way, Dylan. So people just call That's, it Randland. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell the, I, you know, I try not to delve too deep into the actual like hashtag Twitter of time community because yeah, yeah, it's dangerous. I did, all of them were like, please like go away until you finished. Uh, but they, I use the hashtag first real timer sometimes and stuff, but yeah. I'll say that, uh, yeah, th- I can tell they're a community that has all these memes and funny names for things and things yeah. that they're all kind of <laughs> talking about. So I'm I'm pumped to get more into all that. And that Randland thing is funny. And I'll say, yeah, you could probably take a, take a vacation to anywhere in Randland because I know there are many, many inns. That was one of my takeaways. <laughs> like, oh, like another inn, and then we get the whole description of the inn. So I, yeah, and the we, keepers, everything. Yeah, you got to make sure they're like fat and balding. Otherwise, yes. it could never, be never trust. Yeah, that was a very yeah, that was a weird uh, through line there. <laughs> but I don't know. I'll say a. It's interesting. Something about Wheel of Time is 
I, I guess we were talking before about this, like it's less of a straight shot than Lord of the Rings. And I think it, it is kind of fun when you're hopping around Randland. It's almost each each new area has its own like fun set of characters was something that stuck out to me. And I think the characters mm-hmm. that you meet in all these different places, uh, I don't know, they come alive pretty quickly, I think. And they each really have their own personalities or depending on sometimes it's like a full culture that you'll meet. And I see that happening already in Eye of the World. And I assume that's just going to get much, much bigger with what I see. No, it's just 14 books of like the same thing over and over. They don't really expand on it at all. That's Yeah. Yeah. There's no more. There's no more characters. I'm Yeah. You would (laughs) think. Yeah. I honestly, we've met enough characters that I'm sure there'd be a lot to work with even for 14 books, but I'm sure we'll meet a, a heck of a lot more. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, so, so out of, I guess, out of who we've met so far, like, who, who should we discuss? Who are some standouts? Uh, Steven, you've read the book eight or nine times. Are there any characters in Eye of the World? <laughs> oh, Jake, I mean, Jake, you've read the book eight or nine times. What, what are some of the characters in Eye of the World that stand out for you? Um. Her the world, I mean, Moraine, like you guys said, she's, mm-hmm. I think my first time reading through, I was a lot younger. And so I was just like, oh, Rand is the main character, you know, I'm gonna, and then, I, and then Perrin has some like points of view as yeah. well. And, and it like disseminates from there, but I was much more attached to them. But on all my rereads, I'm like, Moraine is so cool. Like, especially seeing like, mm-hmm. I don't know, she's just a great character. Lan is awesome too. He's like the say a few words but just be have such a presence you know yeah. in the book um but probably one of my favorites is, is gotta be tom mm. and, and again he has he's such a small mm. um a part you know but just the idea of a glee man i thought was cool and this idea yeah. of kind of like a father figure um trying to care for these kids but jake i remember when when we did our review of the wheel of time you brought up a detail that I hadn't noticed, which was in his stories that he tells at the beginning of the book. Oh, there's yeah. actually some that like talk about earth history huh. in kind yeah. of a roundabout way. So the, so the idea of the wheel of time and this isn't like super on the nose and I don't know, you have to kind of like delve into it more, but it's supposed to be because ages come and go and it's like the cyclical nature that, it's Earth's past and present, um, mm. these books are. And so they, one of the stories, there's a couple, he references Mother Teresa, and obviously her name has been like changed through time again, kind of that telephone game. And he mentions, uh, I can't remember Something the name. The, the, there's one about the lunar landing, right? Yeah, it's that someone goes in like the, <laughs> the belly of an eagle and flies to the moon or something, referencing like going to the moon. And then, oh, he says the... Uh, Merc and Scow or something fight with their their uh, spears of fire, referencing like the Cold War, America and Moscow or something like that. There's like lots of things you can you should Google it because I think it's mostly just Eye of the World stuff. Like it's an Eye of the World. I don't think the other books, and you can see all the references to our history in there. Which that's not something I obviously picked up the first time reading it, but it's kind of an interesting detail to it 
I'll have Charles Google it because t- Twitter of Time warned me not to Google anything multiple times. Yeah, if I you got go to the money. Wheel of Time Wikia at all, the very first detail on any character page is like, are they dead or are they alive? And <laughs> yeah. you don't want to see that. Yeah, Dylan, yeah. even when I was preparing the notes for this book and looking through the summary on the wiki, like it says who the other person is in the prologue, right? First sentence. So you're like, oh, well. I'm glad Dylan's not on here because I don't know if he cares about that, but it's something that doesn't actually explicitly say in the book. So it's something that um, yeah. mm-hmm. you got to be careful about. Uh, so, um, Stephen, what, what are your, some of your standout characters? I'll say, uh, so it's, it's fun to meet some characters. Uh, they don't, they're not huge in this book. Uh, maybe I shouldn't talk about them because that, that might be a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, well, uh, you can at least say what you like so. about him in terms of yeah, uh, who you so liked meeting okay. for the first time. So I, I really it. liked meeting Min the first time and mm-hmm. I loved the different visions she has. We already kind of talked about prophecy, but to go back to that, I love how some of these prophecies are unveiled and then they're just these like story hooks if you're into D&D that don't get picked up for books later sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are fulfilled in really surprising ways that you wouldn't think make sense and, and surprise the characters even. And so Min kind of provided that moment for me when some of her things were fulfilled, like much later on in like totally blew my mind. One specific thing, uh, which I probably definitely should not mention, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She um, is like I'll, a prophecy machine. <laughs> yes, yeah. that, that's her job. That's, yeah, I like I like Matt later on. He kind of sucks in this book because yeah. he's got the whole dagger, dagger affliction yeah. going on. That'll yeah. do it. Yeah, it's and, funny. He he becomes like a a fan favorite. I can on. see that. Yeah, but he it's so interesting knowing that, and then because a lot of people are like, "Oh, don't you love Matt?" And then you're reading Will or Eye of the World, you're like. No, he sucked. He didn't well, do anything but complain. Yeah. I, if I'm remembering correctly, Charles, when you've mentioned Wheel of Time to me, you've said that I would probably like Matt. Was, is Give that it accurate? like 13 more books. <laughs> but I, yeah, I did say that because like I just know the kind of characters that you gravitate towards. I don't want to like put too much more detail into it. Yeah. But yeah. Like just from knowing the kind of books that you like to read and the characters that you like to read, you know, I, I thought that Matt would be one of those um, down, th- down the road. I kind of forgot, like, just like, if you just look at Matt's storyline, it's like, Oh, Matt is being mischievous and no one likes him. He, he steals a dagger <laughs> and becomes really mean. And, and then he's not as mean, but still forever going to be kind of mean in the end. Yeah. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's not that great. <laughs> so uh yeah matt is cool and like he does get to become a crowd favorite and i can see that for me though my favorite character i agree with dylan moraine is a solid like second place but for me actually i've always really liked parent um, awesome. parents always kind of jumped off the page for me um i feel like a lot of these other characters could be slotted into the lord of the rings cast in some way like I see Tom and Moraine both kind of having different aspects of Gandalf. And then you have yeah. like, oh, like Matt's basically Merry and Pippin. You know, like you can slot people away. But Perrin is kind of the beginning of this new trope of character, this like reluctant noble 
character that I feel like I can't remember reading much sooner. I'm going to equate him to another character. I'm not going to spoil Game of Thrones, but I get a lot of Jon Snow vibes from Perrin and it's interesting yeah, to think that. about like 1990 versus 1996 and just how many parallels there are between Perrin and John um so I, I, I just I don't know really if you guys have read uh Farseer at all Robin Hobb yes I, I think some like fits yeah Farseer is a well. good example as well right yeah. I just think like that I think Perrin I haven't Definitely, we have to go and do our genealogy, Stephen. But I think Perrin is one of those Genesis characters for people that like Jon Snow and for like Fitzchivalry and, and things like that. So I just like Perrin a lot. And also, it's funny to read him. I also get some Abercrombie vibes when like Perrin's oh. like, oh, Rand would know what to do in this situation. And then Rand is like, oh, Perrin would know what to do in yeah, this situation. You know, that. like he's making a joke by changing the POVs. <laughs> yeah. It's a very mm-hmm. Abercrombian kind of thing to do. I mean, Abercrombie mm-hmm. takes it so okay, much further. Okay. But I, I feel like in um like in 1990, that was like the beginnings of it so a lot of this stuff is happening through Perrin and for me that's why I just gravitate to him so much he feels like he's like so his own trope <laughs> like we're getting the beginning he, of the Perrin trope he has such a unique um like abilities I guess like yeah. for compared to other I mean I guess it's kind of hinted at you have was it Bjorn and uh the Hobbit is that his name have you guys um yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. i think the, i remember the guy that, that the guy too. who helped him right before mirkwood and like he's kind of like this beast man he, his he's more yeah, of a changeling shapeshifter yeah whereas guy. but um, um just like like you're saying the parent um his character and also his abilities are very much different than the the lord of the rings standard set so it's really cool yeah, yeah. like kind of the magic system it's such a departure from lord yeah of the rings. right yeah exactly um yeah, he's really cool. Dylan, yeah. that leaves you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I mentioned Moraine at two. I'll say that even though I can't say her name, Egwene, <laughs> did yeah, I get it this time? It. Yeah. I got Okay, I was like, that was it, right? I was like, thinking through it because I knew the question was coming. And Egwene uh, sticks out to me in the way that a character we've been reading that comes 30 years later about uh, in Monstrous sticks out to me, which is uh, Little Fox, but I'll talk more about Egwene, which is Egwene, I feel like is a character that right now is pretty much like plucky and headstrong and all these things and, and really means well and wants to do good and just doesn't right now have the power to do much about the fact that she has all those desires and and bravery really like unbelievable courage and i'm always like really impressed by these characters that are uh kind of underdogs in a world where a lot of really messed up stuff is happening and are just like i guess willing to just put themselves out there and put themselves at risk at times in which they probably shouldn't. And I feel like Egwene does that just over and over and over again. I really, even even in like the final battle of the eye of the world, it's like, she is so out of her 
league i mean more than any other character there because like you know Rand, mm-hmm. like oh no he's just a sheep herder but also <laughs> like oh now i'm wielding the one power and it's like <laughs> i don't know that's happening and Egwene is like i can do little tiny tricks i'm gonna use them on you and it's like no that no that's not gonna work Egwene. please no and i kind of i've always loved characters that just give it their all despite the their fact that they're like, stronger than their power level. <laughs> yeah, their fortitude, their mental fortitude yes. and their courage is stronger than their power level demands. And I like to see those characters hopefully come into their own and then like keep that same courage and all that and now actually have the power to do something about it. So I see in Egwene the potential to be that kind of character and I'm really holding out hope that she gets there. I, I think yeah, one of the funnest things about the Wheel of Time is just the massive story arcs, character arcs that characters go yeah. through over the course of all the books. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to have you read the rest of Egwene's arc because uh, it, it is one of my favorites. There's, I mean, every character really is going to go through incredible changes and ups and downs and whatnot, but uh, hers is one of my personal favorites. I I'm totally with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking, um, and I could be conflating the the show and the books together, but when I read um, the the books for A Song of Ice and Fire that are out now, like I feel like the characters don't change much, huh? Like they're they're pretty much the same people, like personality wise, the whole time. Like they 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 in grow the books, for, yeah, in the books, and and like I said, it oh, could be some characters certainly change, like personality wise. I feel like they're still kind of the standard personalities. That they were at the beginning. Are we talking? Wait, are we talking Song of Ice and Fire or Eye of the World? A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, interesting. Like the first book. I mean, man, I feel like uh, I'm all of it. I mean, no, 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 some okay. character. <laughs> there are definitely okay. I'm definitely there. Definitely are some changes, but for <laughs> most of the people, no spoilers for for the series. Yeah, this show. is a tough one but without for, spoilers. For most yeah. of the people, I feel like their motivations have remained the same. I mean, they've grown as people, but they're, they're still kind of the same. Whereas I think it's very noticeable the difference between Rand, Egwene, Matt com- in book one compared to where their arcs end throughout the series. And I time. see what you're saying, Stephen. When you have a series as Jake. comprehensive... Uh, I'm sorry, Jake. You're I see fine, what you're saying, fine. Jake, where um, it's 14 books, right? And as the series goes on, yeah. like, and this was what, when I pitched this series to Dylan to try and get him excited about it, I was like, there's no experience like reading 14 books, following some of these characters for 14 books. Like the, the, just to see like from where they start to where they finish it, it feels like you're like lived with these characters for so long that it, it, you can't even imagine it ending right and with other series that are more contained like yes they go through character growth and they go through yeah. their arcs and everything like that but it's kind of different through when you're reading wheel of time because it's so much longer and you're yeah. sitting with the characters for so much longer and things are happening mm-hmm. that don't even advance the plot they're just happening and you're reading it and you're still in the character like it's just a totally different experience and, yeah. and, I, and i'm not knocking um Game of Thrones at all. I love Game of Thrones, and I think it has probably some, like some of the best written characters on page. Just the, and there are some big changes. I'm not trying to say there, are, <laughs> but I just feel like the the difference is is so stark. Rand 
book one. Hey. <laughs> I yeah. think. Yeah. Let's see what yeah. you did there. So oh, Stark nailed it. Oh, I did, <laughs> sorry. I, did, I know I was I the last one to pick up on that, but <laughs> I didn't even realize. <laughs> no, I, I think Jake was. <laughs> um, well, I'll say, Jake. But, I feel like I'm. Yeah. I don't know, so, I, well, I feel like I'm picking up some, somewhere. You're kind of pointing down there with a song of ice and fire, which is. It feels like sometimes the character growth in A Song of Ice and Fire is more peeling back the layers that were always there with certain characters and revealing them to the reader over time. And I think, Charles, you can Mm -hmm. edit this out if this is too spoilery, but I'll just say a character's name, which is Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Right? Like that, I'll just say that. And I think that I am, I can tell that the the characters in the eye of the world, they're starting, they're kids, they've never seen the world, anything like that. And now we're going to deal with 14 books of them going through, I imagine even, uh, it's going to compound from what they've been through in just this first book. And the amount of change that someone would go through after 14 books worth of those events from their humble beginnings, Mm -hmm. I would think has to be a lot bigger than like a lot of the characters in A Song of Ice and Fire are seasoned characters who've dealt with a lot who are now dealing with even more, but it's just, they don't have a different starting place. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess the difference, like you said, is the Wheel of Time characters start out um, younger, more immature, like from the, their base level. So there's, there's a lot more room for that change. Um, sorry, hopefully, hopefully this generates controversy, and so, <laughs> so much attention. <laughs> lots of people comment about it, <laughs> yeah, and, and direct the hate at Phantology. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. You know Jake, that was all, Jake. <laughs> yeah, all, all the Song of Ice and Fire fans are going to cancel you, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> well, talk to me when Winds of Winter comes out. So <laughs> now they actually. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I love uh, Song of Ice and Fire, though. Seriously, some of the best characters ever read. That's the official stance of Jake from Phantology yeah. <laughs> on the Song of Ice and Fire. He loves it and some of the best characters he's ever read. Do they grow? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, one thing I like to ask people as they are, I mean, I say people, but really we've done it with uh, Steven's brother-in-law who's been on our podcast and, and now you, Dylan. But knowing that the TV show is coming out, mm. you've read book one, what are some things you think would be really cool to see on screen to see that adaptation? And what are some things where you're like, I don't think this is going to work. They need Ooh. to like downplay this or change this. And what are some things they should highlight? Interesting. Uh, okay. Kind of like a, a question of changing mediums almost. Yeah. 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 To- well, I think with the right sort of funding behind it, which I imagine Amazon is giving, I haven't been following all this, but I imagine like Moraine's powers were the first thing that came up. I'm like, you got to go in on her doing some really cool stuff and, uh, you know, don't that, you know, the M night Shyamalan avatar movie, it like, make it like, (laughs) make it like some high budget, awesome magic powers. And I'm all in for those moments. I think, in a TV show, the first thing that sticks out that I would have to change is like, let's cut down the time in the like in the rivers over there and just try to take it like over to when stuff starts happening. Maybe a little bit less of like this chapter we continue to ride horses and uh, <laughs> you know you like to, we don't need to go to every inn. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Maybe cut down the inns a little bit, and I think they'd have to bring in the characters where it's like 
you know, they did this all the time in A Song of Ice and Fire to Game of Thrones is like turn two characters into one and all yeah. those kind of things. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine those would be the biggest changes that would need to happen to bring it to the screen. I think that, uh, yeah, like some of these moments of like the characters not really communicating well, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think... I think that you can have the same plot points, but you just need to have a little more subtlety in the interactions mm-hmm. of how they got there. Because I think like RJ's right there. I think like I think it, I, I actually think the characters are great, especially mm-hmm. when you put it in the context of 1990. But then there's like a little bit missing in the way they like communicate that feels almost like, I mean, they're kids, I guess, right? They're naive and they're kind of yeah. So and I, that's I hard. Know. That's that's, that's a harder out. thing to do on TV when you can't really like write yeah. about. Some like you really have to show everything. You can't really tell much, hardly at all, on TV. Right? Books. Yeah. We're we're not going to accept when. So when Tam says, "I'm not your dad," we're not going to accept that. Like that's not tr- like not true. If we're not in, rant- I mean, we maybe don't already, but mm-hmm. we're going to be even more hesitant to accept this. Like Rand doesn't buy that when we're not in his internal monologue and seeing his struggle of like, but he's been my father my whole life. How can I accept it? And then we're a little like, okay, well, I get why if you're a kid and your dad just said you're not, they're not your dad, you're like, okay, like that's hard to understand. But I think it's just, if you don't have that internal monologue, it's yeah. even harder to yeah. make the miscommunications yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. What about you guys? I mean, I like, this will be the, you've never seen a, well, You've never seen a good Wheel of Time show before, I guess. Like, what things stick out to you? Because you've been thinking about this for a long time. I, I have. I think, honestly, if they could play up the horror elements of The Eye of the World, I think that would make it kind of have its own, um, find its own place. I mean, Game of Thrones had the the White Walkers, and that was, like, that was more, I don't know, like, slasher, I guess. Like, but, like, making making the the merge draw that's following Rand in the beginning be mm. really scary. And then when they're, they're in shatter Logoth, just ma- trying mm. to make it more suspenseful. I think that's what, yeah. I'll sound pretty scary too. You know, there's a lot of opportunity to really nail a, a, a nasty looking <laughs> Trolloc, you know? Yeah. As long I feel as like that. in the book, it's almost like, Oh, there's Trollocs. We killed like a hundred of them and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Raise the stakes with the Trollocs. Yeah. Build, build that threat with an air of like, like unknown to it to make it a little more creepy. That's what I was like. like, I mean, Lord of the Rings with orcs, it's like yeah, we killed a hundred orcs. Not a huge issue. <laughs> yeah. 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 Going back to Lord of the Rings, the opening is is really similar to Lord of the Rings. When I saw Fellowship for the Ring for the first time when I was younger, I was terrified of the opening yeah. of that movie. When, yeah. when they're being chased by the ring race and hiding under the tree root. Mm, and he scream. stops and he tries to get him oh. and he screams. That was horrifying for me yeah. as a child. So I, I would hope for something similar. I mean, you have the same story and then you have Shutter Logoth, you have the ways there's all these yeah. different horror elements. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But I feel like I there's think- some that don't work, like Mashadar and like that. E- it's like, oh, it's an evil mist that exists and it's just yeah. it's mist oh. and it's evil. I'm like, yeah, let's just get rid of that. <laughs> we don't need that whole scene. <laughs> Let me just get to the Trollocs and the Fades and the like, let's have these villain characters that just pop up at the end like let's maybe flesh them out a little bit more you know yeah. so we can have a little bit more of an epic battle at the end it's like oh look we're the forsaken we're here now it's like okay 
like <laughs> who yeah, are you <laughs> so like in tv i feel like they're gonna be cutting back and forth a lot trying to build that right up, so who knows yeah did you guys watch the witcher yes i think one of my biggest disappointments of the witcher was the last episode just the magic mm. special effects were were just not there for me i don't know what happened with the special yeah, effects. Yeah, just, there, I so. also feel like it was not to like brag on anyone that was in that, but I feel like a lot of those <laughs> roles were miscast quite a bit, and they're just like all of a sudden all these the majors, sorcerers, are, yeah, the sorcerers—they're all fighting each other, and you're like, whatever, man. Like we're supposed to feel bad that this character is like getting killed, and we're like, do we even know? Yeah, have any? Yeah. Are we invested in this character at all? So, and like, what even is happening? <laughs> I'll say. So, there's a little bit of a sorcerer battle at the end of the eye of the world, right? We've got, yeah. you, you just kind of alluded to this. Mm-hmm. We've got Agnor and Balthamel showing up mm-hmm. and all of a sudden like, Ooh, here we are. We're the forsaken. We're going to, you know, take you down. And uh, I don't know, like, what do you think Dylan did that go too quickly? I, that's maybe one criticism that I have of the eye of the world. If you couldn't tell is like, I just felt like the ending is a little rushed and rushed and a little uh, so confusing, confusing to too. me. Very confusing. Yeah, I mean, they come out of nowhere and just, as everyone's been saying, it's like, hey, we're the we're two of the Forsaken. Watch out for us because we're back in business and, <laughs> yeah. and more are coming. Don't you worry. And then it's like, okay, now they're attacking. And it's, I think a lot of it, I was getting into this idea y'all were talking about, about this like horror trollic element because I guess a lot of the battles in this just didn't have that extra for me where it's like Trollocs I don't buy as like a legitimate threat they were just kind of forced to keep the plot moving it was like oh the horns are coming I guess we have to go to the next inn and it's Uh like so I think like yeah be to answer your question Stephen yes it was abrupt uh, for me I think it just like stuff started happening all of a sudden and I saw myself getting close to the end of the book and i was kind of waiting like wait where's the climax but i also you know with wheel of time i've been prepped a little bit to not expect it to like have these huge climaxes i've been a little bit more in the perspective of like lord of the rings and i have been in something like yeah it's not a standard it's not a (laughs) yeah we got plenty of time and I, we will get a Sander Lanch, from what I understand, uh, in <laughs> yeah. the last few books. So. I, 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 I don't understand that criticism of The Wheel of Time, honestly. I feel like, except for a handful of times, and a handful isn't that many out of 14, <laughs> um, the climaxes have been awesome. Book one's climax to this day, when I reread it, I'm like, maybe I know enough that I'll follow it. I'm still like, this is confusing. I don't know. Yeah. It must be intentionally confusing to... I don't know, but yeah. I think um, the next book, The Great Hunt, has an amazing climax. Yeah. Does, yeah. I think book three, not as good as um, The Great Hunt, but also amazing. And like I think they consistently are really good, except for a couple of them that are less actiony and more. Yeah, like, I think I, the world really struggled with establishing the threat. You know, like Dylan said, yeah. Trollocs, it's like, I don't buy that they're a threat. And then the big bad himself, it's like, I'm in your dreams. Ooh. <laughs> and they're like, I don't believe you. And he's like, no. And then they wake up. So you're like, okay. <laughs> like, that's yeah, the most evil yeah. guy in the in all, of, of all time. Yeah, he killed some rats. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so I think they need, to, and you know, we had no history with Aganor and Bothamel and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think I can definitely buy into the fact that in future books, we're more familiar with who the bad guys are and they do more bad things. So when we do face them, it's the stakes are a lot higher and we're, they're more and believable. Once you've read the series, looking back, the first book does make a lot more sense mm-hmm. and you can like, okay, here's who these guys are. Here's what was going on with Balsamon. It's much, you know, you can even understand what Rand is doing in Tarwin's Gap. And he hears this voice, right? That was probably like, what the heck is this voice? And if you're reading it, it, (laughs) yeah, if you're reading it, it's in all caps and it seems super significant, but you're like, what is this? And uh, it it takes a while to understand what all these things really are. Yeah. That, speaking of the the dreams thing, that's another thing where I feel like mm. if they could play that up to be creepier mm. and and like scary, actually scary. I don't know if they can though. It'd be hard to actually make uh, it scary. Yeah, you kind of have to though shot. because <laughs> you really can't Otherwise afford to make silly. those scenes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was kind of seeing it a little bit when you know there's like scenes with like mirrors and all this kind of stuff, and I was like, I, I could see it if. I guess I'm always amazed when I think of how Peter Jackson was able to see Helm's Deep out of what the Helm's written. Deep in the yeah. books. So yeah. there's always this lingering part of me with adaptations where I'm like, if Peter Jackson could take that part of the two towers and be like, oh, we can turn this into yeah. a giant epic battle that like hardly resembles what you were reading. I'm like, you can do anything if you've got the right people. But Dylan, remember right how he handled Sauron. You just keep calling him an I, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, how do you make the big bad when he doesn't do anything? And we never see yes. him. Like this guy's just haunting the, the dreams of 16 year olds. You know, it's like, what is <laughs> like, can we get a little more stakes? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize till just now, like, obviously, um, the Basilmon in the dreams is is Sauron, right? The burning yeah, eye, the sure, eye yeah. mouth are on fire. Yeah, another. For sure. But there's also like I see the influence. It's like don't say his name, like Voldemort, kind of like it's really interesting to see like how that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Long. That's something that I picked up on is I felt like, wow, like Harry Potter was way more influenced by Wheel of Time than I would have guessed, or seems <laughs> to be with some of the <laughs> plot points that I, I was like. Because obviously I'm more familiar with Potter than I am with uh, Wheel of Time, and uh, <laughs> only I, barely, <laughs> only barely. That's my other like. Uh, I'm not. I think I. I think I'm in a safe place to say I have not finished the books of Harry Potter, and I'm not necessarily a, a huge fan of that <laughs> series. So I'm sorry. Okay, that'll take the heat off of Jake. <laughs> if you think yeah. that Song Rise and Fire yeah. fans, so cancel you. If they made it this far, they're, uh, the Potter fans are coming for me. So Potterheads are relentless, man. They yeah. will never stop. <laughs> yeah, so I'll just trust them not to make it this deep into the episode. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's cool. I'm glad that all of y'all love uh, everyone who likes Harry Potter. I'm glad that you love it. Never really quite made there, but I was like, oh my God, this like Hugh must not be named thing. That had to be grabbed from Wheel of Time to some extent, it feels like. Yeah. I I wonder, she, I've not, has she listed that as her as, no as an influence? I've, yeah, I, I have no know. idea. I don't know if maybe that was a trope of like having a, a taboo name. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. It's only two I can really think of. We need to yeah, do that yeah. genealogy. The yeah. genealogy is coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
We yeah. can trace it back somewhere. The, the origin of fantasy. Yeah, it sounds, like sounds like a Reddit post that's going to get us a lot of karma. We got to Yes, it's all about that karma. So, I mean, so we think of it sort of as a family tree and I that genealogy bit kind of, right? Like you'd way toward the, if we did, I guess, where modern fantasy came from, way at the top would be like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. And it branch mm-hmm. out from there. And, you know, I really bring up trees because I would be remiss Oh. If, I, I mean, after our discussion on Phantology about the two towers, <laughs> I would be remiss if I did not bring up the fact that there's that basically Treebeard is in this eye of the world. Like I legitimately, basically. I was like, I was legitimately like, wait, <laughs> no. And the char- it's loyal. Yes. It's the character, right? Yep. It, that's an ogre. Ogier. Ogre? Ogier. Ogier, yep. Egwene. So I think, <laughs> so yes. I, yes. So loyal literally says like, don't be too hasty twice. And I was like, I can't yeah. believe like it was clear already. It was tree beard, but I can't believe they dropped that. And I was literally like, Oh my God, I can't, <laughs> I, I don't know if y'all watch community at all. I know Charles has seen it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You yeah, know? Oh yeah. Okay. You know, in the Glee episode where they're putting on the show and then uh, uh, Britta comes out and she's singing terribly and the the Dean looks down and he's like, oh, oh Britta's in this? <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I was like, oh, Treebeard's in this? Like, I was enjoying it, having a great time reading Eye of the World the first time and then Treebeard comes storming into the show. Man, ruin I, it. I don't get how you hate Treebeard. <laughs> Treebeard's awesome. Second of all, I don't get how you hate Loyal. Loyal is like one of the... Well, is Dylan saying he hates Loyal or are you saying that the second time around you're you're more forgiving of of the character? Oh, no, I'm saying that I... I think at this point it's kind of a meme for me. Like, I think like Treebeard just exemplifies to me the things that other people oftentimes like love about the Lord of the Rings and I appreciate that they do. And (laughs) for some reason that when I'm reading it, I'm like, I, how am I still reading the, like this whole thing? And also the bit about him saying like, don't be too hasty while I'm feeling that is like, stop invalidating me tree beard. I want to move on. So I think like, yeah, I guess for me at this point, I just saw it and I knew like we'd talked about Ents on Phantology <laughs> and then this character comes on and I was just immediately thinking like, oh, I cannot believe there's a tree beard. And it's such, <laughs> that's yeah. the most one-to-one character yeah, probably sure. in the whole thing is that Loyal <laughs> is like tree beard, right? Like literally says, don't be hasty a couple times. Yeah, the Ogier are like, a, um, like an elf Ent combination right they're kind of the elves of the world but they act more like ants uh, when you first said tree beard i thought you were going to be talking about the green man at the end oh yeah then i was like oh we got a second tree beard in the mix <laughs> at cool. least that like one a Tom bombadil kind of <laughs> yeah kind of well when they said green man then uh, you know uh, another sitcom i was like what is this charlie kelly like the from oh. always sunny <laughs> yeah. right like it's like green man outfit green man <laughs> yeah so that was a hard one too and then i was like okay that one's a tree also um so yeah you know a lot of trees going on a lot of tree beards but all in all uh a great a great <laughs> tale a great first uh 
the first book in a 14-book series. Oh, man. <laughs> Everyone's like, don't, I just, don't I just put this off the rails. I mean, my, my username in our Discord is Elder Hammond, who is a an Ogier elder. So oh. I take offense. I'm sorry. Well, you, you, you know, you could be defender of Elder Hammond because I'm I'm defender of Denna over there. So I, I know what it's like <laughs> to feel attacked when people are going after your favorite character. So I'm sorry I was doing that to you, Jake. You're putting a long handle on your axe is what I would oh. say. <laughs> Maybe I'll like Elder Hammond. Who knows? I just nah, did not. You won't. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> be honest. I don't really even like him that much. <laughs> <It's a cool> <laughs> name. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, there is more of a plot line with the with the tree beards with with your ants. So uh, yeah, look forward to that. <laughs> I yeah, I can't wait. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome guys. Well, I'm also looking forward to like when like some of these Wheel of Time fans they like uncover and never before heard interview with RJ and he's like yeah when I was writing Egg Queen <laughs> <laughs> and everyone can be like oh Dylan was right all along <laughs> and they have to re-record all the audiobooks yes because I've never heard him say the name so who knows <laughs> to to be fair I I love the the, the narrators, I think they do a great job. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they do mispronounce some stuff. There's a glossary in the back, mm. and I and I can't <laughs> I can't do an episode on the wheel time without bringing this up. There's a place called <laughs> Gildon, and mm. it's and they pronounce it Giladon. Yes, so many times, and I'm like, I think Giladon. The the book came with a glossary, a pronunciation guide in the back. You'd think if you're the narrator, <laughs> you would use your resources, but. So don't feel bad yeah. about mispronouncing anything. Jake, I mean, you and I and, and Charles and Dylan, I'm sure we've never, like on air recording, you've never mispronounced, mispron- yeah, see, did it right there. Never <laughs> mispronounced anything, right? You never I, I, was, I wasn't criticizing <laughs> no, them. I was just using it to help Dylan not feel bad about Thank you, Jake. Thank you. Pronunciation. Uh, yes. Um, I have never mispronounced ever, anything ever. No, definitely not Egwene. So, I, <laughs> well, was yeah. it Brandon Sanderson that says like once it's out, it belongs to the fans? Yeah. Go pronounce it however you want. Like, I don't want to misquote him, but someone said that. Some famous author said that. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. I mean, it's tougher. People sounds like something he yeah. would say. It's tough for us podcasters out there because, especially <laughs> if you only read and if you're only reading, I was switching back and forth between audiobook and Kindle, so I have no excuse for not being able to pronounce Egwene. But I'll say that if you're only reading it and then you are supposed to talk about it, it's like we're asked to be able to pronounce it. If we were doing reviews on like a blog or something, you don't have to run into that. So it's uh, we're yeah. we're in a tough spot, I think. I mean, we, we kind of talked about um, this before we started recording. I'm reading the Malazan books. Which yes. I'm saying that wrong. I know it's isn't it Malazan. Yeah, it's the, supposed to be Malazan. That's what Erickson says. But yeah. everyone, almost everyone, says Malazan. But uh, yeah. and, and the narrator, the narrator of the of the audiobook says Malazan. So oh. I mean, mm. and also, yeah, Malazan is so much easier to say. 
<laughs> oh Malzahn yeah, so for sure. I've been saying Malzahn for so long. I don't know if I can change now. <laughs> yeah, we just did yeah. an episode on Dune. Talk about a book with a bunch of uh, crazy <laughs> pronunciations. Yeah. Like at one point, we were calling a we were calling a, a prophetic title the the Quiznos hacky sack because it rhymed <laughs> with the real thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the Quizats Hatter. I don't even know anymore. Quizats Hatterach, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got some crazy names yeah. <laughs> yeah rj doesn't do us any favors with Egwene and elaine that always oh. kind of bothered me i used to get i get them confused i'm like what wait mm. yeah <laughs> it's like the same person kind of yeah and they're then, different oh they're the very the by names they're, they're very different the yeah. yeah but the name's similar and yeah. a lot of these like apostrophes all over the place and i don't know <laughs> that makes it tough for me and like land, sometimes it's written with like the A L, like dash, oh, and you're not oh, supposed to yeah, say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One actually, so we mentioned this kind of earlier. My mom's the one who got me into these books. She she loved them when I was growing up. But my dad, who also likes fantasy and sci-fi books, stopped reading them because in the first few chapters, you had a character named Tam, Rand, mm. and Lan, and he was like, "I'm out." <laughs> Yeah. Too many characters that sound the same. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah. I feel that pain. I've never quit because of it, but I've certainly been like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, Any parting thoughts, guys, before we wrap it up here? I I just want to know what are Friends Talking Fantasy's plans for the series? Dylan, this is like your current. TBR, this is your number one priority? (laughs) I would say that this is, right now it is my number one priority, I would say. We're, we're, you're totally asking the wrong person because Charles actually knows our reading schedule, but you're also especially asking the wrong person because that's never stopped me from talking way more than him when I don't know what uh, I'm talking about. I know, once Dylan started talking, I was like, oh God, I'm gonna, I'm dying <laughs> <like> inside. <laughs> Charles, is this my number one priority right now? For the next like four weeks? Yeah, it is. Okay. We're going to read the first three books straight, but then okay. we're going to take a break and like we're going to add books as we we're going to read a new series and then sneak in some more wheel of time and we're just going to keep putting it in the rotation with breaks Mm -hmm. to do other stuff because otherwise it would be like six months straight of just wheel of time content which you know the the balancing act is tricky there i think the first three books are a good place to stop too Mm -hmm. it's like from there it really starts to jump off into a kind of a different tone so yeah, that's good I'm to hear. Amazed. We definitely are going to finish. I'm just amazed, and I want to know how you do this, Charles. How do you have the power to control what your channel is reading? Because <laughs> trying to get mythology to read something together, that's well, not even possible. That's, I was that's telling like Dylan before, I'm like, I don't envy Steven because there's like five of you. <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. only two of us, and like I'm one of them. So that makes it super easy. <laughs> so uh, he has to deal with the occasional i come in and like demand that we start reading the poppy war when we're supposed (laughs) to be reading lord of the rings uh but besides that he usually can rope me in to what needs to be done (laughs) yeah we can only read one series at a time but at least we can like put it on a at least plan it somewhat (laughs) yeah i don't want to be trying to coordinate like four or five different schedules i don't see that 
<laughs> you guys do impressive work over there, keeping that. Sh- yeah, machine running. it's just a matter of like, okay, who's reading what? How can we possibly piece some episodes together? Great, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that's well, speaking of Stephen, uh, what kind of things might we expect in the future from Phantology? Well, I'm about halfway through uh, Burning God, and mm. you guys are going to have the privilege and honor of recording with Ben, who is also reading the Burning God. And we only have like seven or eight more days left on our library checkout, so uh, he's oh. telling me he's going to be done with it by then. So uh, yeah, we're looking forward to recording that with with you guys. That's our. That's probably that's next a, up. That's a good one too. Like we're yeah. really honored to be part of the the end of your Poppy War read. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm halfway through. Really enjoying it. Um, it picks up right where the second book ends, and it's just like nonstop, and it's it's going into some very interesting and dark places yeah. but yeah. uh yeah that was that what one. i knew going the in the pacing of it yeah. is super interesting break we'll talk about it yeah yeah um and uh, jake we'd love to have you there but i assume you'll have been uh d- devoured by angry a song of ice and fire fans by he's them. reading malazan he needs to focus yeah he does yeah. seriously i yeah i don't know how i'm gonna make it through i probably need to buy the actual book too. I need to get the ebook, the physical book, and the audio book, and somehow <laughs> all the help you can get. <laughs> yeah, combine yeah. the forces of it, along with the tour reread chapter summary, mm-hmm. so I can understand what I just read. That's big. Yeah, yeah, I have it, Jake. I have it. I have the physical book, and I will. I will loan it to you. Okay. Now that's a true friend. Oh, <laughs> uh, and while. While we're on this topic of upcoming Phantology stuff, when when that stuff does come out, where is the best place for folks to find it? And where's the best place for folks to find uh, everything that you've been doing over there up until now, all this awesome stuff? Yeah, yeah. you can find uh, all of our episodes online at www.phantologybooks.com. We have our full catalog up there divided into some different series. Um, if you want to follow us, you can do that at Phantology Books. We do some stuff on Twitter. It's kind of fun. I don't know. That you uh, we're, do. doing, we're doing a, a top three fantasy romances in the month of, month of uh, February, Valentine's Day, you know, sappy romance. Mm-hmm. Tune in there. Uh, you guys have entered into the competition, so best yes. of luck. Yep, Maybe, okay. Yeah, Twitter. We got, I got <laughs> Denna in there. Dude, yeah. Both and Denna. <laughs> Although, yeah. although we were, oh, I don't want to go into spoilers or anything. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Off the air. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say when I submitted my top three fantasy romances, Quoth and Denna were in there. I'm, I'm with nice. you. Nice. It's really a classic. Nice. For sure. Oh yeah. Nice. I mean, say what you want about those two, but they, if nothing else, they make people feel strongly. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that says a lot. That that's my no spoiler. <laughs> I love the teen angst portion of romances, and they have got it. Mm, so, yes, in spades. Yeah. <laughs> Check out Phantology, guys. Jake and Stephen, it's been a pleasure. Stephen, as the as a fellow coordinator, we should uh, compare calendars so we can book Memory of Light, um, the fourteenth and final 
installment. We'd love to have you back on in like a year from now. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll put that in the books. (laughs) All right. Our first episode of 2022. It's on. Guys, thank you so much for having us on. We love Phantology. If you like what you heard today and you haven't for some reason checked them out, please do like, Several months ago, they came on, they supported us when we just started, and we'll always love them for that. So thank you so much, guys. You're welcome back anytime. Can't wait to talk Burning God over on Phantology. It's going to be so much fun. Thanks so much for having us. It's always a blast. You guys do great stuff. Yeah, we love being here. Same to you guys. All right, everyone, that is going to be it for today. Thank you again, Phantology, for such an awesome discussion. Be sure to check those guys out. They have a fantastic podcast. You don't want to miss that. If you like what you heard today and you want to go ahead and support the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast, find us on Twitter and interact over at the FTF podcast with a number one at the end. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at the FTF podcast. Now, Dylan, if someone wanted to support the show and they just so happen to be on Apple Podcasts, where can they go? What can they do? They can toss five stars to our podcast by scrolling down on that Apple podcast page until they see some stars. And when you see those stars, the best thing you could do to help us out would be to click five of them. Uh, If it so happens that you have the time to leave a review, that would be awesome too. And yeah, I mean, still just listening to us though and making it to this point we appreciate you thank you so much thank you all for listening all the way to the end we love you we appreciate you thank you thank you thank you and as always go forth and conquer friends